0: Beautiful. Those meetings delivered later on will get underway on Sky Sports Radio. Of course, uh, the Corowa and the Scone meeting. The first at Scone today with Gary Harley and the crew, 12.40. Corowa have a five-past-one start. So they're our two New South Wales thoroughbred meetings. Greyhounds today, if you cannot on a on Sky Sports Radio. Nowra tonight we will have some tips later on when it comes to afternoon delight. Bathurst will get underway just after three o'clock today, and we've got racing at Maitland as well. So three venues for greyhound racing in New South Wales, and for harness racing fans in New South Wales, a day off, relax. You'll be back tomorrow. No New South Wales harness racing today. Glenn Munsey's online already. When it comes to the uh, the panel, the Punders post mortem panel, a great panel today. Glenn, how was your
1: weekend, mate? Uh, it was all right, Dave, uh, this person just calling me, I'll get back to you shortly, uh, and I'm going to hang up on you and be very, very rude, but uh, I, um, yeah, Dave, it was all right, uh, a strong finish, which is always what you require, if you, you know, some some people say if you, uh, it's better to back the last winner than the first winner, and it was a strong finish there on Saturday with Taksu and also Jojo as a man getting the money and i'm sure both luke and nick will enjoy their counseling this week after they got a lesson on friday they did get a lesson that's correct what about Taxu? and we'll we'll talk
0: about it more when we've got chris roots and ray thomas joining us as well and also michael maxworthy to touch on that. To final group one of the season there at eagle farm but geez it was good glenn
1: uh he just let taxu roll along and uh just he pinched the race didn't he Yeah, well, Dave, you know, when you do do the form and, uh, you know, all the boys are the same, it's a a very big part of the form nowadays is how you think the race will be run. And how the race was run was exactly how we thought the race would be run. We said, uh, I I thought the major reason Glynn was riding Taksu was he's had a good deal of success riding Coal Crusher for Joe Pride. And I thought he would ride Taksu exactly the same way he's been riding Coal Crusher, and that is for speed and get the horses off the bit chasing him. And you would swear blind you were watching Cole Crusher uh, at its last start at Ramwick when you watched Taxu on Saturday from about the 800-metre mark. He, he just put the foot down, Glynn, before the turn, got them off the bit chasing him. He was It, it was, a, I, I think, a very, very big advantage to be up and in there on Saturday, you could make ground as long as you made ground near the inside, those horses that seemed to get sort of five and six off the fence, hit a brick wall probably about the 250 metre mark, but he had the race fitness on his side, that was the first day he's won on a, on a track rated as a good track, albeit we started on a five on Saturday, was upgraded to a four before Taksu, uh, but just still had enough in the ground for him. He had the race fitness on his side. He had the form on his side coming out of, you know, the race in Brisbane that provided the winner of the Stradbroke and the Eyeliner in the previous two weekends. So he'd had the best form in the race. Not much pace. Controlled the race. And, and albeit he didn't win by a long margin, uh, his number's in the frame. And if you're on him, you've got paid. Exactly right. Ray Thomas is joining us
0: on the the panel today on Post Postmortem. Ray, great to have you on board. And welcome back Obviously, for Royal Ascot, mate, uh, you got to head over there and experience what was uh, fantastic to see on our television screens, the Win of Nature strip, and I think we'll be back there in droves again, no doubt, in years to come.
2: Yeah, good morning, Dave, good morning, Glenn, and good morning, everyone. Yeah, I think um, what Royal Ascot has shown two things uh, this year is that Australian sprinters are, without doubt, the best or the equal to the best in the world. I think there's no no argument about that, and certainly overseas uh, they do appreciate the class and quality of our horses and the english <clears throat> generals were quite a at what um nature strip was able to do in the King's stand and i think boys has also again sort of reopened the door for more competition between the northern hemisphere and the, the southern hemisphere the last couple of years of course the global pandemic has really impacted that but uh, what i found interesting when i was in england um dave and glenn was the number of english trainers who Obviously, they're aware of the Everest, but the Golden Eagle's in the conversation, boys. I guess when a race is worth $10 million, it has to be, but it's very much part of their thinking already. I know Godolphin are looking at the race closely with a couple of horses. Aidan O'Brien told me he's trying to find the right four-year-old for the Golden Eagle, and and the list goes on. William Haggis is the same. Um, of course, the Everest will attract potentially a couple of sprinters from overseas as well, so... Um, that was the thing that really struck me. Um, that these new races; they have got their criticisms, but the prize money itself commands attention, and it is getting attention overseas.
1: It is it also? It is. Sorry, Ray, but uh, lovely to have you back. Uh, some, some important questions I'm going to ask you about England in a moment. Um, but is it is it significant there that it's 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 a race? It's you know, it's only a uh, it's a race under a mile, so they still mm. feel as though they're going to be. Um, competitive for their younger horses because you'll still have to bring a european three-year-old here won't you
2: albeit it's a four-year-old race in australia yeah it'll be a european fair with some weight dispensation but um look they they just think that the course and distance is is probably ideal for the right type of horse and I, i know um Charlie Appleby, for example, he mentioned to me Modern Games, who's won the French 2000 Guineas this year, and is obviously a, a high-class three-year-old, and Noble Troop, who won Glen during Royal Ascot at group level. They're two horses at Godolphin, looking very close here, bringing down to the Golden Eagle. And as I said, when a race is worth $10 million, um, you just can't win that prize money overseas, can you? And except for maybe one meeting, that's that Saudi Cup meeting. So... Um, it's just huge money and I was surprised, Glenn, how aware um, English are of our Spring Carnival races and in particular these huge prize money races, even though they don't have group status.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's got more to do with the fact, Ray, that they look at the prize money aspect. Mm. I know, you know, your expenses, uh, I think, it, you know, I, um, I, I stand to be corrected on this, but I, I think a lot of people, it's about 100000 I think um, by the yeah. time they, I, I know that's basically rule of thumb for the spring carnival. By the time you, you send the horse here, you send your staff here, you're here for, a, uh, a, you know, a good period of time. So, you, you know, you you're basically investing a hundred thousand for a potential to win a ten million dollar race. So, um, you're taking a hundred one yourself.
2: Yeah, and remember that, Glenn. You, you can win huge money right through the placings as well. And and the other thing that which, which also struck me overseas was. Um, the English just can't get their head around um, the Australian prize money levels, and that's just not at the the top end, not for just race right, like up the Everest, the Golden Eagle, but right through the board. And the, they were talking about, like this weekend, we go to 150,000 minimum Saturday prize money um, uh, for Sydney Saturday meetings, and those prize money increases from Friday go right through to picnic level. And... For most minor meetings, an average meeting in England, they're racing for what's essentially country prize money. So that's the other thing, Glenn. They just cannot get their head around the sustainability of our um, prize money, which has gone to record heights
1: yeah.
2: and well, with the envy of the world, really, in that regard.
0: One one thing that does fascinate me, um, Ray, Glenn, etc., mm. is how is their model sustainable, considering their prize money is what it is? Uh, yeah. They obviously have... You know, um, huge studs. They've got wonderful bloodlines. We've seen that. Uh, we've seen the the progeny that they can create. But how is any of that sustainable, considering that the the general turnover, the the way in which racing's run there, doesn't seem to be how it is here.
2: They're, they're looking at different ways to increase revenues, and they have to because obviously they've got they're, they're fortunate to have the backing of some massive stable operations, Coolmore, Godolphin. Juddmon, etc. But if those huge owners walk away from the sport, they're in huge trouble. So I know the English and indeed other racing jurisdictions in Europe are looking at ways to increase revenue streams. Of course, they don't have a a strong coach system overseas, so that's um, already one issue where they're sort of fighting with both hands behind their back, aren't they? But certainly they are very much aware of the need to increase revenues and to find those sustainable revenue streams so they can increase
1: their price mainly. Uh, uh, Ray, it, uh, I don't know, you're not expected to know the answer to this, but are, are they looking at our funding model as regards to our race fields legislation here yep. and charging the corporates because, you know, it is the home of the the corporate bookmaker yep. in but in England?
2: M- most definitely, Glenn. If you remember some years ago when the whole race field legislation argument began, it um, it was first, the test case initially was in was in England and they lost it and they haven't pursued it properly since. And I know that um, English administrators from the Jockey Club, the British Horse Racing Authority, etc. are certainly looking at that that um, situation again because uh, they need to find new revenue streams so they can increase their prize money levels so they can be more competitive. It's still the home of racing in terms of the quality of the horse racing is, is second to none. It was... Horses like Bay Eid and others, they're absolutely world-class, but um, they can't continue with the current funding model, Glenn, if that makes sense, and um, they're certainly looking at all those different avenues, including potentially exploring their version of race legislation again.
1: Well, now, Ray, so, I know you're only a, a late sort of entry to get to England, but a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. One, um, because you're a late entry, Peter Velandis took your spot in the Royal Carriage. <laughs> Um, About that. (laughs) And how did you go getting a morning suit uh, with late notice?
2: Yeah, no, I managed. I was very lucky. Uh, um, They put me up at Newbury. There was actually a a higher place there, and I got one of the last ones because it is their their peak season this time of year, and uh, a lot of people obviously do go to Royal Ascot. The crowds each day, Glenn and Dave, they're forty five thousand upwards, upwards towards seventy thousand on the final day, so they get huge crowds and was able to get one of those, but certainly for, for Peter Valandis and indeed for Australian racing, that, that was um, tremendous exposure because having Peter getting that honour of being in the Royal Carriage, of Royal Procession, which is a uh, tradition at Royal Ascot prior to each day's racing, I think in recent years, Chris Wallace had that honour given to him as well. Glenn and I remember John Massara back when Black Caviar won, he was also part of that Royal Procession. It's a rare honour, and indeed it's normally reserved for... English royalty and um, senior English politicians, etc. So for Peter Valani's, it was obviously a great personal honour, but an acknowledgement too, I think, of, of for Australian racing. Boys,
1: I notice in England at the moment, Ray, there's a bit of conjecture over the the the, the length, for want of a better term, of the race meetings. Ascot always <laughs> at that six race card, and and also the cost uh, to be going to the races. Um, you know they've bumped up the admission prices in a lot and yep. some crowds have dropped off at, the, at some meetings because people are saying it's too long a day
2: Yeah exactly, they've actually had seven races on a number of days that Royal Ascot this year, Glenn, so they're looking at that and again I don't want to harp on it but they're certainly looking at the Australian racing model, we're not perfectly got issues obviously but as I said earlier um, the prize money levels and the, the robust nature of the sport down under it, it's the envy of many racing jurisdictions overseas and as I said we've we've got issues and we've got problems obviously nothing's perfect but um, in England um, they're very much aware that they're big on tradition Glenn obviously and and they do pride themselves on the pomp and pageantry of Royal Ascot but um, racing needs to change like everything else in in society if you stand still you're going backwards aren't you Glenn and so they're looking at all these different alternatives and, and different models and indeed how um, a race meeting should be held well ascot's probably the one where they've got to take out of the equation because it's going to be successful no matter what but if you go to a minor meeting at red Car or at nottinghamshire all those sort of places they need to look at different ways to make racing more attractive increase the prize money levels and indeed to to increase crowds as well
0: Ray, Ray, I really appreciate your time uh, coming on this morning. I know it's been a difficult uh, 24 hours for yourself and especially uh, Tanya, your beautiful wife, who is a part of this Racing HQ and punters uh, post-mortem family. Our thoughts are with you, our thoughts are with her and her family, mate, and thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks so much, Dave.
0: Ray Thomas joining us this morning on punters post-mortem. Chris Roots is now chiming in from the Sydney Morning Herald. Chris Great to be chatting with you, mate. Uh, you had your eyes well and truly on the racing here in Sydney. We mentioned about uh, Good Glynn there in the Civic Stakes. Um, it was a sensational stuff. But what about um, Rhys Jones uh, there with, with Jojo was a man. He, he He's just coming good at the right time, isn't he, Rhys? I don't know if he can challenge for that uh, apprentice's title, but this time of year, he seems to have a very good knack with producing winners. Good morning to you.
3: Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Glenn. Um, yeah, it was a... The error Man was one of those One of those ones where it's really been... He really found his level, hasn't he? He's, um, he's, he's come through at the right time. He's got three wins and uh, another great ride by Reese Jones. He's in, he is in cracking form. As an apprentice, he's one of the only apprentices who, who can really ride a race, which is... Um, fantastic if you're when you're looking at it and you look at his, his, his ability to ride from back in the field On he did it on boot scooter, he got it exactly right there, and that was probably a better ride, the boot scooter ride, because at the 100 metre mark, he was driving with the whip, he put it away and and just dropped over its neck and pushed it out, and right on the line he beat Tim Clark now, Timmy's not 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 the weakest rider you'll ever see he's very good in a close finish, but Reece got one over him there just by using his mouse and not flailing away with the width, but riding hands and heels. And I think if he was um, two or three closer, we'd be going right down to the last day. But I just think the seven he's got to make up. He needs probably Tyler to miss a couple of meetings to have any hope of um, getting making the, pre- the apprenticeship um, close.
0: And also joining us on the line this morning, the great man, Michael Maxworthy, who is uh, chiming in from Brisbane. Maxi? we speak of uh, good rides. How ice cool was this ride from Jason Collett, who was extremely confident with Star Tontes leading into Saturday's Tats Tiara?
4: Yes, well, he knew what he had underneath him, um, having ridden her in Sydney a couple of times, Jason. And You just wouldn't have believed that there would be such a parting of the waves at the top of the strait. In a, a field containing 17 runners, so we know if there is a slight negative with Star Tontes, it is the fact that she doesn't have any tactical speed. But what she has is, a, is an amazing turn of acceleration. We've seen that time and time again. Um, and yeah, we remember Rough Habit in that uh, that Stradbroke 30 years ago. He came from the same spot, stone motherless last, but he had to constantly weave a passage in the straight, whereas. Jason probably couldn't believe himself uh, that he could have driven a, a Mack truck through that gap. And all he had to do was uh, put her in that direction, and she did the rest.
0: She certainly did. Um, I'll come back to you here, Maxine, if uh, then Chris and, and Munsy want to comment here. But um, that particular group one from Rob, I mean, he, um, he needed that, didn't he? I know he's had, obviously, uh, had Rothfire firing. A couple of seasons ago, and his performance in the strap break right from chatting with Tommy Berry, he was astounded, Tommy, how well Rothfire went. But there's a Group One. It's been a quiet carnival for Queensland trainers in regards to getting these feature races. So, I mean, that's a that's going to be a big boost for Rob uh, coming forward, and and obviously with the spring on the horizon.
4: Yes, um, I mean he was he's, he's a, over the moon if he wins a race at Kilcoy but in particular on Saturday with Star Startante, and so I, I guess. With trainers and owners uh, that actually breed a horse, um, and they've had it since you know uh, since the the mating date, basically, and to see it progress, I saw some wonderful pictures on social media this morning of Star Tontes only an hour after she was born, and how she's developed into this uh, this monster now. Not in terms of size; I think she weighs only about 440 kilos, and that's clearly on the small side. But to see her come from, from that to, uh, to to winning that Group 1 was just amazing. And For Rob Heathcote, I think that was Rob's 12th Group 1. He did win seven of them with buffering. Um, so the, the fact that he's so close to the filly and the group of owners of Star Tontes has stuck with him right the way through. Um, she's from a mare called Fun Tontes, who in turn is from Can Tontes, who basically started it all breeding-wise for Rob. Um, she wasn't any great talent, uh, the Grand Dame Cantonte. She only won two of 37, a just awesome mare. But her foal fun, Tontes, the mother of star, um, she was a tough mare. She was by easy rocking. She actually had 50 starts. She won a Group 2 Champagne Classic as a two-year-old and $700,000 in prize money. So that, that Cantonte's line, right down over the past 20-odd years, has produced a lot of smart horses, but none better than Star Tontes.
1: Maxie, uh, we've known Star Tontes has always had the ability, but she's just one of those horses that's got the terrible racing style of being back in the field and needing luck.
4: Yes, that, that's exactly right. Um, and everything panned out perfectly for her on Saturday, and it didn't in some of the previous runs. And she put the writing on the wall in the Stradbroke handicap too, uh, finishing her race off strongly. But I think um, Sydney side is stood up and took a bit of notice of this filly who'd only just won a Doomban about this time last year. Uh, She went to Sydney and competed in the Golden Rose. And she wound up sixth, beaten 2.8 lengths behind in the Congo, Animo, the likes of Artorias, Tiger and Malay only finished slightly ahead of her. But, Glenn, everybody that did the sectional times that day kept mentioning this Queensland filly. She, She was extraordinary, in particular her sectional time against Artorias that day.
1: Yeah, Richie she backed it up. She ran second in the surround uh, behind Hinge. Jason Collett did actually ride her that day. And whether or not, you know, he, he Jason's gone the complete opposite now. He was growing the mullet around uh, Christmas time and shaved yep, it yep. off for charity. But he's gone the absolute slipstream. Now he's had the buzz cut. So um, And it's proved to be a good race for him, the Tats Ara, because he registered his first ever Group 1 win on Invincibella a couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, and he's backed it up with, a, with another win on Star Tontes on Saturday. That's exactly right. Uh, what do we make uh, of Ana Visto? Um,
0: obviously, uh, Rachel King, I see in the steward's report, commented that the mayor raced flat. Um, there was a post-veterinary examination which revealed no significant findings. Um, what What do we do there, Maxie?
4: Yeah, well, um, she's been up a while. I know she was freshened since uh, running back great race in Sydney on the heavy 10, uh, the group one there against the mayors. And She'd had a couple of trials up here, and the trials were okay. Um, nothing flashed. Look, um, she sort of had to, to work a little bit. There was a bit of pressure on in the early part when Snap Dancer came across with her, but you couldn't really offer an excuse for Anabisto. I thought Snap Dancer from Gate 17 was fantastic. She, uh, you know, at Group 1 level, she's really had to stretch it at the end of 1,400 metres, and she almost pulled it off. It was just the, you know, she just couldn't hold Star Tonte's late. I thought her tissue was quite good. It wasn't completely smooth sailing for her. And Charmy Baby had no luck at all. She might stick around for the Pam O'Neill in a couple of weeks. So it was a, a terrific race, and, and certainly I feel the right result going to the little three-year-old filly.
1: Uh, Maxi, uh, how done. well is, uh, and I know you've had a soft spot for this mare for quite a while, Pen. And, and the stable uh, is going Chris Bunce's stable is going enormous like she was a little bit of a shock winner uh, in the in the Dane Ripper, she railed up that, that day, never went round a runner but she backed it up with another very very good effort there on Saturday.
4: She, yeah she was good, she had a chance getting um, you know the nice run through towards the inside, yeah, an interesting story Chris Bunce picked her up uh, I think Mark Newnham had her early and they decided that they, um, they wanted to move her on and Mark said to, uh, to Chris, she's sound, there's nothing wrong with her, why don't you have a go with her? And, and Muncie bought her and he said some of the riders that went out on her that, that constantly told him that they'd purchased a lemon, <laughs> That they were his words after she won the Dane Ripper and then she backed it up again, she's obviously coveted, you wouldn't, you wouldn't read about it Glenn though, three starts back at doom and Bernie and I declared a, the best thing that we've seen on a racetrack for a long time. <laughs> Um, and she ended up running fifth. She dropped off, um, and seemingly she just couldn't run the distance that day, 1,600.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, her, she came back to the, the, the 1,300 in the Dane Ripper, and, and she won there, and she's got a good record at 1,400. I'll tell you what, those blokes that were riding at work must be good judges because it its <laughs> first four runs uh, for Chris.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he lets them know that every morning that he sees them.
0: Um, I'll come to you here Chris Roots um, obviously uh, you're, you're quite close with Jason we've seen many of his story getting that uh, victory again getting that group one victory um, obviously uh, he, he's a champion bloke and, and well liked in the Sydney Jockeys room
3: yeah he's um, I think he's become probably uh, knocking on the door of those top fried riders in the country now um, Rob Heathcote had to make a big call here he, he had Taylor Marshall on this horse and he just had to find the last piece of the puzzle for to win a Group 1, and that piece of the puzzle was a jockey called Jason Collett, and that's what's going to be happening a lot more often. Jason's Jason go, has gone from being a jockey you might use in a Group 1 to you, you must use in a Group 1 now, and um, that ride was um, amazing. It was just, he, um, talking to Rob before the race, he thought from the soft draw of seven that he get, she'd get to midfield and be closer, and I spoke to him yesterday, he said, when she was back last in the turn, I'd, I'd given up. And he said it was just the genius of Jason Collett, that he was he was cooler than anyone on the track. And still at the 250, you thought, well, there's a lot of work to do here. But at the at the 200, it was pretty obvious that she was coming so quickly that she, she was going to get snapped And it was a great win. Now, Rob uh, has already had contact from the ATC about this this filly. The, for okay. to run in the the invitation, and and that would um, be two weeks into a Golden Eagle, so he's already he's going to give her a month off, and then he's going to make a decision now. He's got Rothfire Rothfire going to to Melbourne, and that's gonna that might make it a bit tough. So you have a couple of horses in Melbourne, um, Prince of Boom being the other one, but um, the program's just so attractive here. There's thirteen million dollars of races over four weeks for. For to startante, you could start in a million-dollar silver eagle over 1300. Go two weeks into two weeks into the invitation for two million dollars at 14, and then back up into a 1500 golden eagle. Eagle. That's the program they're looking at. That's 13 million dollars worth of races for a for a filly that's already a Group One winner. So he's ticked that box. And he was saying, how much is she worth now? They don't know. She she i don't know whether they'll keep her and breed from her, or they'll—they'll they'll cash her at the end of her career. I know that it's very a very close family to Rob's. heart. Ken Tontes—he trained in his first year as a trainer, and he's got—and now he's got a Group One from the fam, a Group One winner from the family that they've bred all the way through. So it's it's just a wonderful story. This Group this Group One win, and she's a very special filly and. Um, it lines up the Phillies form, the three-year-old Phillies form, which looks to be a little bit stronger than the Colts form as a whole, not at the top, but just as a whole. The, the group of Phillies look a little bit stronger than the Colts this year.
0: Okay. Um, and just on uh, the other two horses, because there's a couple of texts here about Rothfire and also uh, Prince of Boom uh, from my point of view. So you say they're going to, to Melbourne. Is a horse like Rothfire trying to chase... An Everest slot,
3: or is that just completely off the radar? I think I think they've um, sort of accepted that maybe the second level of the sprinter sprints and go there and try and win a Group One with him. Like a race like the Manicado, which has become a consolation race, really. You know, you don't have to take on the top ten sprinters in the country. Like they're they're running the week before, so they're being targeted at the Everest, and they go to the daily sprint. So with that race, it's um if you can get around Mooney Valley and 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 you don't think you can you don't think you can compete in the top five in the Everest? Well, it's a very good option and with two million dollars worth of prize money. This is what Ray was talking about with prize money here. There are so many options. You've just got to pick what's best for your horse. So a lot of these horses will go to Melbourne because the spread of prize money in Melbourne is a lot better than Sydney. We've got a lot of top end top end prize money with the Everest and the Gold Eagle, but then the drop what the drop off there's there's um. Million dollar race every week, but there's not the the span of races where you can run for for um, big sums of money. Like the mile program in Melbourne, is really has become come a real um, attraction to a lot of people because they can maybe run in an Epson and if they don't, if they're not a four-year-old, they can go down and run for nearly a million dollars every week in Melbourne. So it's 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 got to be interesting what these trainers think, how these trainers plan their preparations, and where they go.
0: Well, Maxie, on that, I mean, you're there on the ground every day. Are you hearing bits and pieces here and there of some potential horses that that we will see south? I mean, uh, horses like Apache Chase, uh, do you think we'll be be coming south for something? Um, Surely Tony Gollan, who probably had a carnival you know, that he he might be slightly disappointed with, um, you know, usually we're seeing Tony Winby's big races around a Brisbane winter, but we have seen him come to to Sydney with success. Surely there'd be something he'd have on the radar.
4: Well, I would think um, Isotope, um, um, she was a little bit disappointing. Uh, Quite a few things went wrong early in the carnival, but her run in the Stradbroke was terrific. So I think he's got her back and she's having a break and there's no doubt they'll, they'll be looking at the south again with her. He's got a very nice, unbeaten two-year-old called Natuno. I think he's only had... Only had yeah, had that's, the star- that's the Sedgian
0: Ho. That's yeah. the Sedgian Ho horse, isn't it?
4: Yeah, three stars, three wins. And uh, she's about to finish a couple of lengths off him at the Gold Coast. So he's a very, very nice horse by and invincible. He's a cult. Um, you're right, Rob will be um, either in Sydney or Melbourne. I think that Sydney attraction is there with Star Stardonte. He's got to remember, she actually went around in the invitation last year. She ran last, beating about five lengths, but it was a big ask of her. And I know Rob sort of half regrets running her now because she had a tough campaign, but it was just a, a rich race, and in by she was fitting well and she went around. But she was only beaten five lengths uh, behind Ice Bar. So uh, she's bigger, stronger, more powerful this year. So uh, we'll, we'll look for her. And, of course, Gypsy, Gypsy Goddess, is going to, she's going to target the Golden Eagle first up. We don't yeah. know how good she is. Um, and that'd be a good target for, you know, a powerful, finishing, strong four-year-old mare in a race like
0: that. Yeah, it's amazing. You you do start to forget about Gypsy Goddess. It's out of sight, out of mind. Muns, I'll come to you here. We'll jump back to Sydney. There's a couple of questions on uh, Sydney's meeting. And by the way, partners, if you've got a question at all for our panel, give them a call right now, 13 53 53. So we're going back and having a look at uh, Royal Rambic here, of course, from saturday now we touched on uh, taksu uh, who i know you were quite keen on when it came to the punters panel multi wanting to know your thoughts though on rebel shadow this race there was a lot of chat about pukare kare there was a lot of chat about um obviously pretty wild with the michael clark connection the bsb team had been talking about it all week but gary portelli he's over in the west i think he was watching state of origin with a couple of his mates and and big owners and rebel shadow popped through at the, the big odds it was a it was a messy sort of well it wasn't messy in terms of interference but it was just one of those races where they're all clumped together wasn't it uh, uh months
1: yeah well it, well it was a messy race day the last sort of 200 meters when bitcoin baby uh, started to drift off the track a bit there um, well the hype horse was definitely Pakari Kari. Uh, coming out of the, the Gosford race there. and But um, I think the hype sort of got dulled a little bit when Timmy Ryan came on Sky Thoroughbred Central after our preview and said, right, <laughs> we're going to give this the maximum stand of the day here, Pakari Kari. This is the lay of the day. Well, it went up a $2.90 chance on Saturday morning and was $3.10 when we did the preview. They'd got it to $3.40 and then Huesca was a scratching well, it went up $3 after Huesca was scratched. Well, by the time they got close to race time, it was $3.80. So you were getting a price it hadn't been since Thursday morning in the fact that there'd been uh, three scratchings since uh, Thursday morning. And it covered a stack of ground, Picari cari You know, it, it just the, the race didn't pan out for it, but it was quite disappointing uh, the last little bit. It was in the worst part of the ground. But, um, you know, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sacking it by any stretch of the imagination, Dave. But it was just one of those horses we spoke about on Friday morning. It, it was the flashing light horse that everyone wanted to tell you how good it went at Gosford and everything like that. And we had the discussion with the boys on Friday. What do you do? Do you believe your eye? Do you believe the form? Do you believe the clock? Mm. What do you do? Um, well, and, and I know I was very vocal in saying it did beat a horse that can't win a highway at Gosford. And it did go round. That horse, Miss Ostend, went round again at Canberra on Friday in a federal and couldn't win. But I, I didn't expect Pokari Kari to go as bad as what it did.
0: No, and, and reading the stewards report, uh, which anyone can get off race New South Wales, uh, when questioned, Kira McAvoy stated that at the early stages, when the pace was only moderate, he initially attempted to go forward and cross Pretty Wild rather than be caught wide. He said that when his mouth did not show sufficient pace to do so, he then elected to endeavour to find cover behind that runner, but due to the continual slow pace, and um, he was caught on the outside of Pretty Wilds heels. He added that near the 1,000 metres, then endeavoured to shift behind Pretty Wild, but was prevented him from doing so, and Rebel Shadow, which had drawn to his outside, had improved to the inside. and. Um, obviously then Mr B Hayes expressed disappointment with the filly being caught wide etc so n- nothing worked out from their plan um, two things and I'm not the trainer and I'm not the jockey it seemed like that day at Gosford being rid- ridden completely cold and coming with that one run was absolutely electric Pekare. do you think that in the future we will see this particular horse Glenn trying to find a position Or do you think they'll just completely ride it cold now all the time, considering that seems to be where she can use that turn of foot? Yeah,
1: but she had been ridden forward, well, not forward, forward, but she was midfield her first two runs in a race. And Bryce Hayes actually stated on Saturday morning um, they were quite happy for her to be sort of midfield. But the, the whole race changed complexion, Dave, from Friday through to jump time because you had Barticelli there that was scratched on Saturday morning. There's one of your leaders go. So Huesca's there, and you'd say, well, more than likely Huesca will lead, Dehorned Unicorn will press forward now. Bang, Huesca's a late scratching. So what happened? Everyone jumped out and everyone expected Dehorned Unicorn to be there. Well, instead, Bitcoin baby sort of crossed. And I think everyone was in a state of shock more than anything else. Sister. And then the whole race was just a completely different race. Mm.
3: The problem it- was the problem was was with the race, was when Wesker came out there was no there was no the whole map got thrown out the, the window so there wasn't a lot that you know, the preparation for the race was sort of gone and then you ended up with the, this this messy race where they didn't go hard so Kieran jumped out and he, in the steward's room he actually said I jumped out and I thought I was going to be on Pretty Wild's back he said. I had a look and realized i couldn't get there so then i was when it was tracking pr- pretty wild and it was sort of two and a half off and as it come across come across to get into the one-off line kieran was going to follow it across but because the pace was so wasn't wasn't that quick um the winner rebel shadow had dived up on his inside and kieran said i didn't even realize there was a horse there and the steward sort of said yeah well you know it, it was probably a bit surprising to you that it had got there he said i had two I had two options I could deck I could deck the horse on my inside or give him a bit of room I gave him a bit of room. therefore out three wide no cover the trip and basically um, had nothing to give in the straight. I think it's a horse, Kari, that needs cover and bryce Hayes was he he was of course very upset with the ride, but he said, he he wants to see it on the back of something and let go like it did. So it might be one of those horses that just needs needs that um, that back of a horse to follow to let go the way we saw at Gosford. But I don't think it'll be go around favourite in a race anytime soon in a similar sort of race anytime soon after that performance.
0: And now just a, and just a general comment on that um, because obviously it's the, it's the times that we live in. But in the past back when we had, uh, you know, other jockeys, other styles, maybe not as much Twitter and social media analysis of races, would that race have been as messy as it was? Or Because it seems like we talk about this map all week, we talk about things happening, then there is a scratching. But even when there are scratchings, it's almost like no one's uh, game enough to do anything outside of the box in case things go pear-shaped for their own particular amount, and then everyone sort of jumps on the bandwagon and says, well, what was this person doing? Why weren't they doing what we spoke about during the week? Is it a bit sterile when it comes to that, Glenn?
1: Uh, Well, this is a perfect example, Dave. Uh, Stewards inquired to Keegan Latham, who led on Bitcoin Baby, why did you lead? He said, well, I was always going to be forward, and when nothing inside me wanted to go forward, he said, I was just left there. Um, So, you know, the, the, the jockeys... Uh, well, the horses that were drawn on his inside, uh, one of them was Pakari Kari, one of them was Cruel Summer, one of them was Royale Return, uh, and the other was Pretty Wild. Well, a- apart from Royale Return, who'd been showing some sort of pace in the bush, there, w- there wasn't a lot of sort of go-forward speed inside him. You know, the speed of the race originally was outside Huesca and Barticelli. So those inside horses weren't going to sort of be digging up digging up anyway. Um, so you know, as I said it, the whole race just changed complexion and, and everyone's got this fixation of how a race will be run well when there is a late sort of uh, amendment for want of a better term to uh, to how a race is going to be run if there's a scratching or whatever uh, I don't know whether they just haven't got the adaptability to see what happens and Keegan nearly pinched the race there by going forward on your yeah, yeah, coin bait. Exactly, yeah. But do you, um,
3: do you think Glenn that, we, that maps have been around for a long time There's been a lot of people who, who, who used to map races and it goes right back a a long time. They're, they're just more in the public eye now and people, and people talk about the, about them openly and things like that. So what, what we've got is there's a bit, punters are better informed than they ever have before. You never used to be able to get videos of races until about a decade ago for free. So everyone's got the ability to have an opinion on the race and the ones who, um, who you, Talk the loudest about opinions are probably probably people who who are using maps that might not be their own and things like that.
1: Oh, but how a race is going to be run! Oh, like I can remember, Dad, you know, forty years ago, we'd be going to the races, and and I'd say, oh, you know, because I, I'd know a particular horse was going good and everything like that. And I said, oh, geez, it's a bad alley. He said, don't worry about that. This is horse. This horse has got much better speed than what you think. And, you know, next minute they're 10 to 1 to evens uh, from Barrier 14 at Hawkesbury in a 1,000 metre race and they win with their head on their chest. Um, But I I think the fact that we've got information overload at the moment and there is so much information there. Speed maps are not 100% accurate every single race. It is only someone's opinion on how a race will be run. Now, you might think one horse is the only leader in the race. Well, and, and if you've sat down and, and say it might be yeah, a horse at decent odds, and you say, this is the only leader in the race, oh, geez, I'm going to have a decent bet on this today, and bang, crash, Wallop, what goes forward? The 200-to-1 chance goes forward and starts attacking it. Uh, you know, just, just because it's down on paper of the race being run in a particular way, it doesn't mean it will be. And then you look at a race, for example, the Taxu race, which has actually been replayed on Sky Thoroughbred Central at the moment. That race panned out 100 percent to what the map said would happen.
3: Yeah, but the other thing with the Texas race, I don't think many people had Glyn taking off at the 600 and putting three or four lengths on the rest of the field, which was the winning of the race. And that's what makes Glyn Schofield such a valuable jockey to have because he, he he'll do that. He's like um, Jim Cassidy used to do it. He used to he, he'll he'll um, ride the horse how he feels is the best way for it to win the race, not how someone else feels is the best way to win it. And interesting, after that race, um, Joe made the point, if Nash wasn't available, Glenn would probably be first reserve for Eduardo because he rides these leaders so well, and he's got so much confidence in, in Glynn that he'd get the job done. So, you know, it's, it, it just shows you... Um, where Glyn is in Joe's thinking, and when he puts him on a leader, you 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 want to you want to give it a, an extra mark next to its name, sort of thing. So, um, I just think sometimes these maps are are overplayed. The, the the way you get your edge on 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 a map is where you can establish a horse that's going to be in a different position to where most other people have got it because. Um, if you're right, you're probably going to get a premium for being correct.
1: Right. And, and you, look at a, you look at a situation like Saturday where it was a massive advantage to be up and inside. Now now they're replaying the Hulk race. Well, one, two, three there were on the fence coming to the turn. And, you know, Conscript came from last, um, you know, to stay on the fence and run third. Hulk was midfield on the fence. All he had to do was come around the leaders. Cattersby was basically behind the leaders on the fence. He was the first to get out. Um, that was a
3: perfect setup for that was a perfect setup for Hulk because he like speeded his races and right, and right. only has about 150 meter sprint so when he was when he when he was getting the soft running behind them and the and he only had to go he, he found a hole he's got the acceleration to look really 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 dynamic but his his sprint only holds for about 150 200 meters so he in that in that race he was able to have his ha, use his sprint to win the race rather to get to, to get to the leaders and he was, you know, you'd look at that and say, well, I need to be on him next time, but then you've got to go back over a period of work and say, well, it's when he gets this run, I think he got it at Gosford one day and he did the same thing, is Is when he's at his best, but he's got to get everything in his favour and, and horses like that, they win, but they don't win out of two.
0: Right, we've got Greg on the line who's joining us. Give us a call as well if you want to get involved with the conversation. thirteen fifty three fifty three. Good morning, Greg.
2: G'day, Dave. How are you, buddy?
0: I'm well, mate. What's your question for the panel?
2: Oh, I just wanted to have a, um, a, couple, I've got a couple of questions for, for Muns, and I just want to sort of let him know where he went wrong in regards to pro-kari-kari, right? So I was listening on Friday... And Munn's um, was going on about um, it's all about where a horse has been if you want to uh, want to pick winners. So where you know their
1: form lines, right? So you have a look at Rebel Shadow and you have a look at Bitcoin Baby.
2: They're both coming out of Saturday grade races, yet Munn's tips Pro Kari Kari coming no, out. He of, uh, no, he didn't. No,
1: I didn't. No, I didn't. I tip Bitcoin Baby.
3: Yeah. No, he, he was. He was the. I was about Glenn and I were both on the on the anti Pro Kari Kari race thing. I think. Um, Luke Marlowe's over in Croatia, still still getting over still getting over yeah. that he was actually wrong.
1: Luke Marlowe said it's a Frank Worrell, and I said you've been batting in the nets without a helmet on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, well, Rebel Shadow, oh, I can't believe, um, you know, uh, yeah, it was unbackable after its performance last week or the week before, and then it comes back and wins at 18. So that's just um, astounding. But, um, yeah, don't tip any more horses from the bush, muns, all right?
3: Yeah. Rebel, Rebel Shadow was, was an interesting one in that race because he, uh, Tyler Schiller in its last run when it ran off had the whip in the right hand and every time he went to go for the whip in his right hand it ran out, threw away a midway so he got into the barriers, I was talking to him after the race and he said, I had the whip in my right hand uh, and I just crossed it over when I went into the stores I said I'm not going to let myself do this again and have it run out on me again so I had the whip in the left hand, I then was able to go back to the inside, use the whip, and I th- when I went back to the inside, I, I, I had this th- thought in my head: I'd hope it doesn't do what it did last time and run out because it was going to had about four horses on its outside. Went as straight as a die, found the found the seam, and if it had gone straight in the midway in that race, it probably starts eight to one rather than sixteen to one. So, if you if you are brave enough to um, believe that it was a it was it was something that the horse did against its against that pattern pattern with the whip in the right hand you got a premium for it and and it was a really good ride by Tyler and a really brave ride as well
0: certainly was thanks for your call Greg uh, Maxie I'll come to you just on our chat about uh, speed maps uh, etc what's your opinion on it obviously you're watching a lot of the, the Queensland uh, racing at the moment do you think it it can be a little bit sterile sometimes just because there's so much chat about it. And if anyone does do anything different to what we've been talking about and whether they a win the race or lose the race, more so if they lose the race, uh, we all come out uh, with the pitchforks and say, what's going on?
4: Yeah, it's a t- tricky one, but I think everybody um, that has a punt, they've got to have some sort of speed map in their mind, but we've just got to bear bear in mind that these horses are flesh and blood. They don't always step away the same. And a lot of trainers will tell a jockey, if they've drawn a little bit awkwardly, ride him how he jumps. The speed map might have you up running second, but if you hesitate by a neck, just leave him there. Let it be. So it's not the be-all and end-all. There was a race here at Eagle Farm on Saturday. Um, I I was adamant that Rhapsody Rose from Barrier 2 would jump and lead. There was a bit of speed in the race, but I thought she'd be superior but she didn't ping the gates like she does. And the horse drawn in gate one directly inside of fetch, she usually sits back. I had her back on the rails getting a sweet run. Well, She jumped slightly ahead of uh, Rhapsody Rose and the rider of fetch couldn't get her to come back. She was over racing in the lead and Rhapsody Rose didn't quite have the pace to sort of cross. So um, that speed map, from my point of view, I got that one completely wrong. But yeah, we've just got to treat them as a guide, but um, they're a very, very good source, you know, if you miss out two
3: or three, one will turn out as the guys said at Randwick on Saturday, you know absolutely spot on The interesting thing with what Maxie just said is um, with barriers and things like that, Chris Waller's a big one for using a good barrier and riding negative and riding, usually riding negative from a wide barrier, so his horses can can be one time jump from a wide barrier and go back, but if they draw inside the next start they, and and he feels to have the speed, he can put them up in a, a couple of places um, more forward in the race. So just you've got to be aware of all those factors that you know. Trainers have different ways of riding their horses, especially from gates.
0: All right, we're going to take a break. If you want to give us a call, you can now thirteen fifty three fifty three. When we return, we're going to have some horses to follow from the boys on Punters post mortem.
4: Brenton Abdallah. The fall was um, much worse than I thought. and I remember laying in hospital. I was just more pissed off that I was missing the uh, missing the carnival. I remember sort of waking up halfway in the ambulance and, and getting there and I said, oh, who won the last race? And I said, private eye. I. So I was filthy. When all the scans come back and they said I had two fractures in my neck and a bleed on the brain, I, was, I think a bit of reality hit then of you know how lucky
2: I was. 11am Monday
4: on Racing HQ. Always thought owning a racehorse was too expensive? It doesn't have to be. Patriot Bloodstock offers racehorse shares for syndication at an affordable entry-level price point with fixed-price training fees. Our horses are country-trained, and whether your horse wins at Wagga or Ramwick, the thrill is the same. We've had great success sourcing quality horses that won't send you broke, and we love first-time owners. Check out what's available at www.patriotbloodstock.com.au. Patriot Bloodstock, an authorised representative of Stable Connect. AF licence number 33696.
0: Mum, which came first, the fridge or free delivery?
3: Some might say the fridge came first, since you can't have free delivery without the fridge to deliver. Ah. Others might say free delivery was for fridges waiting to be delivered. Now I'm confused. I'm
0: not. It's not hard, Lionel. Buy a selected Electrolux or Westinghouse fridge right now at Bingley and get free delivery. Now I get it. No, the customer gets it. Free delivery on selected Electrolux Relucts and Westinghouse fridges at Bingley. I was trying to find me old for 65
4: years. Conditions apply. Get into Totally Workwear Ritalmere for all your winter workwear gear. We stock the best brands like King G, Hard Yakka, FXD and Steel Blue with a huge range of pants, jumpers, jackets and boots. Check out the new Fuse Workwear by King G. You won't be disappointed. Does your workwear branding need a freshen up? Get in store and talk to Darren and the team. Open till 7pm every weekday. Totally Workwear Rydaldmere, 279 Victoria Road. Your one-stop winter workwear shop.
3: You're listening to Sky Sports Radio and Punter's Postmortem. You are
0: listening to Punter's Postmortem this morning wherever you are around the country via New South Wales and the radio network or via the TAB app. We're chatting, of course, with Glenn Munsey, Michael Maxworthy, Chris Roots. We also thank... Ray Thomas for joining us this morning if you've got a call for our team 13 53 53 is the open line number horses to follow and before we get to that uh, I just want to ask you about a, a particular horse uh, Maxie that there's been a number of texts about here and we talk about carnival horses possibly in Sydney well I wonder if we will see this three year old uncommon James come south uh, this was a very nice win albeit a benchmark 78 and also, after you touch on the horse, maybe you give us a bit of an update on Stephen O'Day and Matthew Hoisted. They're getting some nice horses, and uh, and they seem to have some quality about them.
4: Yes, definitely. Um, it's a stable that has been on a high for a long, long time. I don't want to put that mock on them, but, you know, stables have highs and lows, but seemingly their strike rate has been um, incredible over the last six to 12 months. Uh, proven thoroughbreds. Jamie Walters has been their biggest supporter. Um, you'd have to say at least half of their team, probably more, carry the proven colours, and uh, they do get nice stock. Jamie, obviously, and his team, um, you know, they go through the catalogues with a fine tooth comb to find the right horses. There are particular breeds that, obviously, Jamie and his team like, and um, these guys, um, you know, hoist that o'day day. They've got the ability to bring them right through their graves. They're they're great at. Picking the right races for their horses, um, and Uncommon James is owned by um, the Lavens the Lavin family, and um, um, Uncommon James had a, a nasty accident. I think it was last spring in his box. He sort of kicked out, and they had to have surgery on his hock. But that's all behind him now because he was suited there on Saturday. Granted, he had the good gate; everything worked out perfectly. I thought out of that race day, joy to all, and Ed Cummings sunborn if he finds that maybe a midweek race for her her effort was okay sessional times were okay because it certainly suited the on paces where where the place getters were in that race
0: okay horses to follow glenn what are we following from the meeting
1: Oh, Maxie, you didn't have to shelf Sunborn. I told you on Saturday, you know, we've <laughs> got to get these horses that sneak up from Sydney that start single figures in a race in Sydney. They're twenty five to one in Brisbane. I'm not yeah. I'm not releasing to you anymore, Maxie, please.
3: Joyful War was one of yours ones in that trial, that that trial from a few months, few weeks ago before I went to the Sunshine Cast.
1: Yes, yes. Um I'm still getting my head around Saturday, Dave. There's a couple of horses there. Um, I always like to find one out of the highway that could go back to the bush. I thought I'm a true star. Didn't go too bad in the first there. Was always back and wide and off the track. Uh, it can go back to the, the bush there. It's still, well, it was only a class two on Saturday. And I thought the, the best finisher in the Civic Stakes was Lightning Jack. Uh, who who wasn't on the track there. But it was just hard. Uh, you've got to say, you know, those horses that were running on going back to the inside in the fast lane there Saturday, so probably look towards those horses that were sort of back and wide and still making ground. OK, all right. Uh, what about yourself, Chris? Horses to follow?
3: I thought my Demetris getting closer to, to a win, and I think if she gets over 2,000 metres, she, she might just um, get a Saturday win before at this preparation I found Lightning Jack as well. Geez, it was a, it was one of those runs runs when you went back and did the video of the race. It was the first horse that caught my eye, and um, I think a step up to fifteen hundred metres in coming weeks. I think it'll win a winner stakes or it'll win a winner challenge. It'll be it'll be well in the market and be very hard to beat. All
0: right, okay, gentlemen. We've got. Uh, where are we? Uh, are we at uh, Calandra on Sunday? Uh,
1: Saturday? Satellite. Saturday, and uh, Maxie, we spoke about this on Saturday, Uh, I think you'll find the last couple of races, which is now the norm when we get to Caloundra for this end meeting, uh, will be a later finish on Saturday at Caloundra with the last couple of races under lights, Maxie
4: I think they were talking about 5.50, yeah they've got the beauty of the lights, and uh, there's no doubt turnover at that time in winter um, is a premium time so yeah, I think the meeting's probably going to be like a semi-twilight, but it should be a great day. Um, the Sunshine Coast with the caloundra Cup 2400, I think London Banker, Saturday's Tats Cup winner, will go there. Possibly the Ippie Cup winner, Smart Meteor, the Glasshouse. It looks a nice race for Hollyfield, although he might get a bit of weight. So, yeah, we look forward to that this Saturday. And it's not the end of the carnival either. We spill over to the 9th of July because remember when we had to cancel... Doomban Cup day on the morning of the meeting there there are a couple of races that they weren't able to save back then the Pam O'Neill the chief de Beers and the Darby McCarthy they're all going on to the Doombin program on the 9th of July so the carnival okay. is not over yet no, and it speaking of Derby uh,
1: Darby McCarthy guys there's a documentary about to be uh, uh, well, it's being produced at the moment on the great Darby McCarthy so watch out for that Um Oh, I was actually uh, did a, uh, a part in that, so uh, watch out for that. And uh, th- very oh, thank it, you very it, much le- to... Leading role, or what was it, Mo? No, 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 I just did some uh, comments about uh, okay. Darb and some jockeys in the old days. And speaking of jockeys in the old days, I'd like to thank uh, a listener, Tony Marnie, for a very, very nice little message he's just sent me. So great to have you listening, the Mo. Tony Marnie, one of the greats of the turf here. And uh, he sent me a very, very nice message uh, regarding something that have been said here this morning. So thanks, Mo. All right. Um,
0: before, while we're on the uh, the subject of giving good tips away from the track, uh, I was sued in, gentlemen, to a show. I'm not sure if you guys have got Apple TV or maybe one of the kids can sort it out and get it up on your screen. But there's a, um, a show or a movie that was released called Jockey, an American film. Very, very, very good. Um outstanding actually so check it out it's called jockey uh, you can get it from apple tv if you've got the apple tv uh, if you go online and just google uh, jockey it's a proper uh, a, you know a pro- proper motion picture that sony released a film, a film as uh, merv would used to say go and see the films uh, but yeah jockey
1: uh check it out put that on the list and put elvis
0: on the list too muns it
1: was good mm. Uh, the film was based by, by Bentley's father, who was an itinerant jockey. It wasn't based on Alan uh, Jockey Galogly. Uh, yeah. It's turf paradise no. in Phoenix. Hmm, okay. Yeah, it's a, the, the synopsis: A seasoned jockey
0: Jackson has weathered decades of races in the riding circuit, but now finds himself facing what could be his last season as his health deteriorates. As he looks back over his career, a young rider appears who may change his life. Good film. It's called Jockey. As I said, you're getting on Apple TV, etc. Um Not sure why it didn't come to the cinemas here. I think it came out during COVID, and it's gone straight to the uh, streamers. Uh, what we'll do, boys, is we'll get those um, thoughts out on the socials for horses to follow. Have a great week ahead, gentlemen. Look forward to the punters' panel later this week on Friday on Sky Sports Radio and trying to find more winners. Have a good day, everyone. Yeah, there'll be another life lesson on Friday, Dave. Thank you. It yeah, certainly will be. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Maxie. That has been Punters Postmortem on this Monday. It is five minutes past 10 o'clock here, and we are going to take a break. When we return, Gary Harley's got a preview of Scone Racing, and Graham White will join us to look at Corowa.